Welcome everyone to episode six of Where's This Going? And today we have another great show for you. But first, of course, I want to thank my sponsor, U.S. Wellness Meats. All of their beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They're also loaded with amazing nutrition like conjugated linoleic acid, known as CLA, omega-3 amino acids, and a host of vitamins and minerals. CLA is a cancer fighter, a muscle builder, and supports immune functions among many other health benefits. And as we know, omega-3s are anti-inflammatories. At U.S. Wellness Meats, they specialize in a variety of special diets and have hundreds of paleo, keto, Whole30, sugar-free, and AIP, which are autoimmune protocol, friendly foods. I encourage you to know your food and know your farmers. Their food and farms have been featured in numerous major publications, best-selling cookbooks, and broadcasts, including the New York Times, Chicago Herald, Paleo Magazine, and many, many others. It really does make a difference. Put the best quality fuel in your body and get the best results. Grass-fed and pasture-raised foods are nature's high-octane fuel. Check out uswellnessmeats.com for over 400 different options of some of the best products in the world. Use code PODCAST for 15% off your next order at uswellnessmeats.com. Go do it. And I also want to thank my other sponsor, Infinite CBD. Use promo code WTG10 and receive 10% off of all your favorite products at infinitecbd.com. And now, I have the great honor of having my next guest. She is a comedian. She's half Spanish, half American. You may have seen her on Stephen Colbert, Conan O'Brien, Dave Letterman, or Greg Ferguson's Late Shows. She's done sets on all of them. She's also featured on The Good Wife. She's been on Inside Amy Schumer. And you can always find her at the Comedy Cellar as well as she has so many shows coming up in Montreal, Canada, as well as the Creek and the Cave in Long Island City. She has an album called Dance Like You Don't Need the Money on iTunes. Ladies and gentlemen, Carmen Lynch. live beautiful so today i'm with carmen lynch in the introduction it is mentioned your appearances on colbert letterman conan conan uh craig ferguson as well as you're on inside with amy schumer Mm -hmm. lots of different lots of different shows you've been on but i first wanted to start we were talking a little bit before not to get into oh how'd you start too much but i just want to ask you the first time you did stand up if you can if you remember when that was oh, and what that was yeah. like. Um, I actually was too scared. I didn't even know I was going to get into stand-up. Like, I was living in New York pursuing acting. And then somehow my friends, we decided to go see a stand-up comedy show. But I had no idea it was any kind of career option or anything. And how old are you? Um, 
That was like, I don't tell. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, that was like 15 years ago. Wow. So it was a long time ago. Did you ever imagine that 15, 17 years later, you'd be doing it full time? No. And here's why. Because uh, when I went to see the comedy show, I was like, oh, I see. So Seinfeld and Ray Romano and Roseanne Barr, they all got into stand-up and got a sitcom. And that's what I really want. So I'll just do stand-up for a little bit. And then maybe I'll get a sitcom. Like, not that arrogantly, but more like just um, not arrogant, but ignorant. You know, I just didn't know what I was getting into, but I thought it was a good way to display my uh, acting or writing skills, but did not think at all that I was going to um, pursue it as a career. What were, you, what were you like as a kid? Were you kind of... I was very shy, but I was also very silly. But I was only silly around specific people, and I was only silly at home. So around my close friends or at home, I was, like, insane. My sister was like, you're so annoying. Just stop. But then in public, I was a little more, like, around people I didn't know well. I was much shyer. And actually, I think stand-up kind of broke that shell because... I grew up very shy, like we lived in Spain, and I was a little bit um, embarrassed to speak sometimes because sometimes, because I learned Spanish first, I said things incorrectly. So when we moved to the States when I was eight, sometimes I would say, you know, kids are, you know, they're not really nice or whatever. So they'll be like, that's not how you say that. So I was kind of shy because of that. And then in middle school, I wore a back brace because I had scoliosis. So that kind of made me even more reserved and withdrawn. Um, so looking back, I mean, never in a million years would I ever think I would be a comedian. But, you know, I think sometimes when you keep it all inside, sometimes at some point in your life, you just have to get it out. And you talk about, because, so you're half Spanish, half American. Yes. And you do do comedy in Spanish as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. How is that? How have you found that kind of doing it in two different languages? And do you change your style at all when you're doing some of the comedy in Spanish? Yes, but not on purpose. I find that, and I've noticed this with other friends who do stand up in English who are like, I want to do stand up in Spanish too. And because I run a show with my friend Brian Grassi, and we have friends who speak Spanish and do five or 10 minutes, and their persona is more lively as well. So I think either you care less when you do it in a second language because it's not really your job, um, and you play more, um, or um, there's just that like kind of Spanish, you know, sassy side. Because my mom is way more passionate about things than my dad. My dad is very deadpan, which he's American, and it reminds me a lot more of my... American stand-up, and then my mom will just kind of fly off the lid. Are they com- funny themselves? No, they're not. <laughs> they're not at all, actually. My uncles are funny. My aunts are funny. Um, I think they're, yeah. My parents are, my mom gets jokes. Uh, my dad is silly, but he doesn't really, like, he's not that funny. They're very literal, my parents. So yeah, I, I've thought about that. I'm like, where, where am I getting this from? It must be some like uncle or aunt. And, uh, you talk about last year you were on America's Got Talent, mm-hmm. um, which I just actually watched it this morning. And oh my God, it, 
I don't you know, think I even watched it. <laughs> it <laughs> it's it's interesting because I was actually I, I the other day. I don't know. Are you familiar with Kill Tony? I've heard of it. What is it? Tony Hinchcliffe. He does like a live podcast actually, oh, okay. where he'll bring he'll read names out of a hat of volunteers and they'll mm-hmm. go up and do stand up for 60 seconds for like mm-hmm. some of them it's like the first time in their lives and I was there the other day and I say this uh, when talking about you on America's Got Talent because when somebody walks into a room mm-hmm. kind of with no introduction just goes mm-hmm. it's a it's a very weird thing I would imagine I've never done it for a comedian to just start talking and for you my question for you is how do you uh, find that confidence and that, I guess, calmness to just walk on stage, whether it's a small little club in New York or an America's Got Talent with thousands mm. of people and just kind of on America's Got Talent, it was a two minute set. How do you kind of just go and know, all right, I got to kill for two minutes? Um, it's different. Like I was very, very nervous when I first started stand up, like really over the top nervous um and I think that's because I wasn't a very outgoing person but um and then as you do it for years and years and years for me at least you become less nervous I still I'm fidgety and I still need to be like alone in my space before I go on um I get nervous if like someone is there like for America's Got Talent I was nervous or if you know someone is there to see me specifically because they have ideas for me for a show or whatever when there's like pressure, I find myself more nervous. But if I'm just like doing sets in the city, um, I'm just excited, honestly, to um, try out new stuff. And do you have any like pre-set routines that you'll do or superstitions? No, um, I always write a set out. I have to like see it, um, and I, I'll usually write the first few jokes that I want to start with and then I just kind of find the rest on my own through but nothing specific like um I would say it's just that I need to be kind of in a quiet place because if if I'm talking I see comics talking till the last minute until their name is called and I wish I could do that more but I just have to have that moment to myself and I should try it I don't know but do you how long does it take you to get the right material that you're content with? Um, it depends because like even today I was, uh, I'm doing an hour at Just for Laughs in Montreal, which is like, you know, a really big festival. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I, I need to put an hour together. And I started listening to sets and there are some bits in there that I've completely dropped and forgotten all about. And I'm like, how could I forget that line? It's so funny. And I used to love doing it, you know? So I don't know if you ever make it just right. You're always constantly working it. And um, I think I just, I kind of end a joke when it's on an album. And then I'm like, okay, that's out, you know? Speaking of your album, um, Dance Like You Don't Need the Money, on iTunes... How did that kind of come about, and what was it like making a comedy album? Um, I was never really... I tried it a couple times, and I just didn't like it. Like, my friends and I tried it once, and I think we tried it too soon, and we actually tried it in Boston at the 
Improv Boston. Okay. And um, they were so great, but it was just not, I don't know. We both didn't like what we did. So after that, I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to make an album. I don't need to put this pressure on myself. And then uh, one day I was at, I was booked for the San Francisco Punchline. And I'd never been there, but I loved San Francisco. And I'd performed in San Francisco, but never at that club. And I heard it was good and the size was great. And, and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to record that weekend and see what happens. And it was literally the last minute. Like I, I called a couple of people three or four days before to see if they could record. I got some names in San Francisco. They were all busy. So I asked people to see if they knew someone. They were busy. Like, I just kept trying. And I think, like, the 15th person I called, they were like, I can come over and record it. And then I just... It was better that way because I didn't have to overthink it. And I just taped um, my weekend there. And then just one of those hours was my was my album. And it was voted the number one comedy album in 2017 by SiriusXM. Pretty awesome. That is pretty. And yeah. it was New York Times said it was one of five to stream. Wow, you really did your research. Oh, you, you don't even understand. I, I think I know you better <laughs> than you know yourself. Probably. Maybe. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting that isn't talked about so much on um, in my stalking of you on your, mm. <laughs> on your website and stuff like that, but it is mentioned on America's Got Talent, is that before you worked in finance... Yeah, I worked in, well, I moved to New York, like I said, for acting. So I was a temp for many years while I went to acting classes. Um, Because then I lived in Virginia and I was like, well, I'm either going to be an actor or I'm going to work on Wall Street. I liked finance, but I also liked performing, which is so weird and broad and random. So in my head, I was like, well, what has both? And I'm like, oh, New York City has, you know, and I wanted to get out of the suburbs. So so then I um, I decided to temp and I like tempted all these like Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, all these places. Um, yeah, so. Are you not, you're probably one of the only comedians to come from Goldman Sachs or Merrill Lynch. I'd yeah, imagine. but I'm not like an investment banker. So but I was still even camping. going in the field to then going into comedy. I, I haven't heard of, I mean, you hear of maybe like some actors that yeah. make the transition, but no like finance people whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, our um, Goldman Sachs was actually really fun because it was all um, word processing, like Excel, PowerPoint. And everyone in the room, it was like a big room like this, and everyone in the room was an artist. So there were actors, writers, um, singers. There was an opera singer. Um, This guy who won a Tony recently, and I forget the name of his play, but he was there. Um, So there were a lot of artists in this room, and then investment bankers would just come in and say, I need a pie chart, and I need this and that for this. And we would just sit there and all talk about like our art while we were working for these bankers. So it was really supportive. Do you still keep in touch with them? Actually, my boyfriend is. Really? I met him there. Yeah. I mean, we had, we've only been together like three and a half years, but that 10 or so years in between, we lost touch and just kind of, which actually worked out perfectly because then I was able to like start my stand up and he started writing and, you know, we just had our own lives. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm close to maybe like, two or three um, people who's, who I worked there with. And it, it was that was at Goldman? That was at Goldman Sachs, in, yeah. Based in New York? Yeah. And then at nights you would 
go do comedy? Well, it was a 24-hour um, word processing center. So, like, uh, at first I was in acting classes, so I did the night shift. I would work from, like, 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. Always fell asleep at the computer. I could not stay up. And then when I decided to pursue stand-up, I was like, can I do the 9 to 5? And they were like, sure. So they constantly had people in the room just doing stuff for bankers. And then what was it like when you kind of, that moment where you were like, all right, I'm going to focus on stand-up full-time? That was when I got laid off. After Goldman, I um, I was unemployed a lot in between. But um, I, I temped for an insurance company and then went permanent with them. Because I, um, I stopped doing stand-up for a year because I wasn't sure. I had um, a lot of like mixed thoughts in my head. Like, is this a real career? My parents were having a really hard time with it. Like... It was just all in my head. And I was like, you know what? I don't even know if I'm doing this for the right reasons. Am I rebelling? Like, I had no idea. So I just stopped performing. And I didn't say it was going to be for a year. I just stopped. And then about a year later, I was like, I'm not happy in this real world. I need to go back to being an artist. Like, this sucks. I couldn't do it. And um, and so uh, from then on, I was like hardcore. What is it about comedy... I mean, you just said like you kind of like missed it or you had that like craving. What What is it about comedy that for you, I think it's probably different for everybody, Yeah, kind of brings you that that desire, that, that comfort? Well, it's both the, because um, I thought when I stopped, I thought it was the writing. So I was like, that's fine. I'll just get a job. I'll do really well in the real world, but I'll just like write a book or I'll, you know. And then it took about a year to be like, no, it's actually the performing. Because I didn't think it was the performing side because I was such an introvert and I was so shy. And I'm like, I bet it's just the creative writing side. And then I realized like, no, it's actually that almost that challenge and that fear to get on stage. Because a lot of people after a show, they're like, oh, I'd love to do stand up, but I'm just too scared. And I'm like, no, we're all scared. Like, it's not like, I mean, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but... I was just as scared as anyone else who says that. There's no, you don't just say like, I can do this, I'm funny. It's it's the drive of wanting to tell jokes and the creating of the joke to me is like the best part is because once you have a joke that works, it's like fun to do like on late night TV or a special or whatever, but the actual creation, the baby, the birth of that new joke, that to me, there's nothing like it. Will and getting talk, that first laugh on that joke. talk more about... Like, what is your creation process of a joke? Um, it depends. Like, um, a lot of times it's an idea first, and I'll just put it in my phone because it just happens at the most random time. Like, if I'm driving, I'll just hit record, and I'll just talk into the phone. Um, but it's it's usually some kind of idea, or it, maybe it's a punchline, and I have to come up with a setup. But I have to be excited about it. You know, I can't just sit. I don't sit every single day and just write at the Starbucks or whatever. I should, I'm sure. Um, but like today I wrote a lot, but that was um, that was just me because uh, I, I had ideas that I wanted to like write out. So I just sit and I have to write it. I can't type it. I have to have a notebook and a pen and I just write the ideas out. So every, I mean, everybody has their own process, but that's just mine. And what happens... Um, you know, there's always, it's nice when you get the laughs, but I'm sure, I'm always curious with 
comedians when they start out, or even probably sometimes it probably still happens. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of comedians talk about an off day or they just, when they oh, get yeah. there, the, the energy's off. Yeah. Do you have any memorable kind of bombing stories? Oh, yeah. I have, I mean, you do, I think you bomb a lot when you first start, but you still have off days at any time. Um, I mean, I had to take um, some like weird pills for my back even just a couple weeks ago. And all three shows that night were just horrendous. And I was like, oh, I'm like so drowsy. I, I you know, because I don't even drink before a set because then I, I think I'm funny and no one else, like my timing is really because I'm not that energetic on stage I'm very deadpan so I need my timing to just be I need to be aware I need to be sober so anything I noticed I was like why did I suck last night and you know this was a couple weeks ago and I was like and then I asked my doctor what was in that medicine and she was just like well that's like a muscle relaxant and and I was like I was horrific um but yeah I mean there were when I first started I if you know sometimes they'll put like new people up on the check spot. The check spot is when the people are paying their checks. And I mean, there's really nothing you can do besides like jump up and down to get their attention, you know. Um, And uh, moments like that. Sometimes I remember one time I drank like for me, I have the lowest tolerance. So I could have had like two beers and I was wasted. And all I had to do was five minutes because I was new and I remember just bombing. And from then I was like, I got to stop. I got to stop drinking. This is not helpful. I don't know how people do it. What's the feeling like when, you, when you're like mid-set, maybe you're like a couple minutes in or you're halfway through and you know it's just not your day. Like I always wonder because sometimes mm. you'll see it. Even when I was, when I was talking about the, being at Kill Tony the other day, it's really uncomfortable because you're literally there with people who have never done comedy so you feel bad for them. And they're in a room with like 3,000 people and they just look so miserable. No one's laughing. Is that here in New York? It was, they did, they go all around, they tour. Oh, that sounds really cool. It's a really yeah. interesting concept. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Tony Hinchcliffe. I think he's great. Yeah, um, no, I don't know his stuff like well, but I'm going to write that down. But um, but wait, what was your question? Is what's it what's it like... When you're halfway through a set and you're kind of bombing and you're just, what's going on through your, in your head? Do you does it kind of kill the entire vibe? Does it kill your energy? What's that like? Because I've always wondered what it's like for people who are just kind of, you know, it happens to everyone. Sometimes you just struggle. Yeah. A um. I mean, sometimes you just have to just go through it, just get out. And sometimes you know it's the audience, like you know, I'm like, they don't like my dark sense of humor or they're very conservative or, you know, one time I started, I opened with a Trump joke and it wasn't even that big of a deal and I had to just dig myself out. Um, where, where was it? Long Island. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and ever since I went back there, I was like, all right, I'm just not going to do that again. But... um but sometimes it's fun to like shake them up a little bit, you know, and I, I'll go further. I'm like, oh, and, you know, you can play around with them, too. Like sometimes I'll be like, oh, you clearly aren't ready for dark humor. And then some of them will be like, no, 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 we're ready. I'm ready. I'm like, are you sure? And then when I do it, I'm like, yeah, you asked for it, you know. Um, but, yeah, it just sometimes you just have to get through it or you're just like, I'm just going to get paid after this and then I'll never see these people again. I think that's why doing it in a different language is so fun too because when I go to Spain to see my family, um, 
like I love the challenge of doing it in Spanish, but sometimes I have had shows there where I'm like, I am leaving the country in a week and I will never see these people again. And there's something really liberating about that. Do you, because I think I, I read somewhere that you prefer to do your shows in places that you just, you won't see them ever again. No, I just, no, it's not that I prefer, it's just, it's easier to, I, when I first, I would say no, maybe like the first 10 years, I wouldn't even invite people I knew. I would be like, oh, it's sold out, you know? Uh, at the very beginning, you do have to bring people to get on. They'll have like bringer shows. So I was forced to, and I've had like nightmares while I'd forget my jokes on stage. And I'm like looking in this like packed room and I don't know where they're sitting. And suddenly I make eye contact with my friends and I just like so embarrassed. But um, but yeah, for a long time, I just wouldn't. And then even to this day, if, if people come to my show, I'm like, just sit in the back. Um, if it's an important show, like I had one where I had a couple of industry people come and my friends were like, can I, can we please, please come to this show? Um, I was like, you have to sit in the dark. I don't want to see your face. It's going to throw me off. Does it, do you get, does it freeze you up a little bit when you see somebody that you know? Do you start thinking about what, what like what's, um, I always wonder what goes through your head when you're telling a joke, are you just thinking about the joke, or if are you are you well rehearsed? Do you rehearse these it things? It depends. A lot? I mean, all the questions are. It, de- it depends. Like if I'm the most loosey goosey when it's not an important show, it's just a show, and it's a club where I feel comfortable doing newer stuff. Um, and maybe I had a really loose, fun day. You know, it depends. Maybe I just went to therapy. Sometimes that's like amazing. Um, so it just, it just depends on, on that. But I, I do know that I am my best. I can try my best when I am not overthinking things. So, you know, if it's different, if it's like a late night set, I'm like, okay, I have the jokes that I need to do. You know, what are the, how am I going to say them? All that stuff. But that day, I'm still going to be as loose. I'm not going to do very much. I'm not going to like read or watch that much TV. I'll probably go running or whatever. But um, but on days where I'm like doing long sets and it's just a show like on the road, um, I just try to just um, have the ones that I want to do. And then a lot of times I just kind of riff the rest, the order, not the... I'm not like chatting with the crowd so much, but the order of my jokes. Because sometimes I find that like not rehearsing in my head or not having an outline, it creates these like new segues and these new callbacks that I never even thought of. And I like that, you know, versus like when I first started where it had to be this order. I have to do this chunk after this, you know. I think it's kind of interesting when you talk about order and segues because when I watch your comedy as opposed to different comedians that I've seen, you have a very, um, a very, as I see it, like a quick pivot to like mm-hmm. a different subject. Like yeah. you'll be talking about your height, yeah. and then you'll talk about um, something completely random next. Yes. How how did that? Like you have a very particular style as well, with kind of having you know, as you said, like dark humor, um, and for like maybe like. 80% of the joke, it'll be kind of monotonous. And then you'll it's your timing that I think is is brilliant. Where it's oh, it's thank the, you. Yeah. It, it's the it's, it's, what it's I that need. small yeah. change in energy that yeah. I think is what 
people really like. Yes. And I find, and that was another thing that I've learned over the years is like, if, and you, that's why like, I don't feel like you can rehearse this stuff. You just have to have the experience because, you know, people or younger comics will be like, well, how do you find your persona? And it's like, well, you kind of don't, you just have to get out there and it'll find you. Just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. And, and, uh, I have so, I had so many things I just wanted to say and I forgot all of them. Um, but I think for me for a, a while, and it still happens sometimes, like I'll forget that I need that pivot that you were talking about. And, you know, I'll see someone like yawning in the audience and I'm like, oh, sometimes deadpan is too much, you know? So you have to have that like staccato in there. So, but I, but even that just comes from doing shows. It's not like I was like, okay, so now from now on, I'm going to do staccato or whatever. Like that's just from constantly doing sets, you know. And how do you deal with with hecklers? Hecklers. Um, do you enjoy it? Sometimes, more than hecklers these days, I find that people are um, talking to each other or they're on their phone. But yeah, um, they're not so much. And in a way, I think they're almost too quiet with me. And I've asked people and I'm like, they'll laugh really fast and then they'll stop. And I'm like, why are they doing that? And they're like, because they're listening to you because, you know, sometimes I almost cut out too much fat in my jokes and you have to get all the words to get the joke. Um, so it's almost like the opposite of heckling. I'm like, be a little more lively, you know. Um, but when they do, um, I, I always like to talk to them and I try not to be too mean too soon or I come off as the asshole. So, but usually it's either like girls on their phone or guys, but usually girls talking together, they're drunk or a bunch of dudes. Sometimes if there's like a table of dudes and they just think they're so cool, I'm like, ugh, they're going to be a problem, you know? But a lot of clubs are really good these days about having you put your phone away or if you're too drunk, they'll kick you out. Do you have any favorite clubs that you do? I mean, in the city, I love the Comedy Cellar. It's just always good. And it's always a diverse group of tourists and locals and comedy fans, people who've never been to comedy shows. Um, but I also like a lot of rooms, like bar rooms that... Um, where I can try stuff, you know, I wouldn't want to be some like an A-list club every single night because a lot of the fun is like finding that joke and then taking it when it's ready, taking it somewhere like the cellar. But I also love the road. Like I love doing the road. I think it's fun. What's it like? What's, what's life like on the road as a comedian? I mean, it's different everywhere. I love traveling probably just as much as I love stand up. So for me, it's uh, the opportunity to go places. Like, you know, I just came back from Niger and Egypt and Bahrain and I went on a military tour there and um, I've been to like Pakistan, Iraq, Kuwait. So all that, all those places are just something I wanted to do regardless of stand-up. I just have the opportunity because I'm a comedian and they were like, do you want to come, you know? Um, so... But even if it's like Ohio, I mean, it's not exciting, but it's probably three days, you know, 
no offense to your Ohio listeners, but no, it's okay. I don't know how many listeners I have in Ohio, but I don't even know. Like, you know, like this weekend I'm in Missouri. I've never been to Springfield, Missouri. It's two days. I'm sure it'll be fun. I like to see what the clubs are like everywhere. And, um, I would like to walk around during the day. I don't really stay in my room so much. So it's like, I don't mind it, you know? Speaking of um, before, when you talk about going to Kuwait and Egypt, that's that's a little different than going to Ohio. Yeah, um, and I so, went to Ohio right when I got back from Bahrain. A, a little Egypt. culture yeah. shock. Yeah. Um, can you talk more about that? Because I read that earlier. Um, how is it's part of a you're you're performing for the military? Is that what it is? Yeah, I mean, some of that one was for the troops. So how does that work? You go from city to city and then it's the American troops, like their bases or how? You go to the bases and you perform on the bases. And is it like a a group of comedians that go? Yeah, I've gone where it's just two of us and sometimes it's three of us. And sometimes it's four, actually. And is is it a program or how does that, how does it come about? It's the Armed Forces Entertainment, AFE. So, um... I've done quite a few now, but you can go to Armed Forces Entertainment to like, and they'll hire like singers and they love cheerleaders and all that. Like you never know what the military wants to see. It just, I think in the summer, like now they love concerts and, but in the spring and in the fall, um, they, they'll hire comedians and they'll hire groups of comedians. So it's like the USO, but it's like just a different organization. And so they'll, they'll fly you out there and you stay there for how long? Depends. I don't know. I mean, like, when I went to Greenland, we went for one night because that was it. That was just one show. Um, but then uh, we were in Egypt for, like, four days. I was in Iraq for, like, seven days. Um, it just depends on who's putting the tour together and when can the soldiers see the show and when can the comics get there and... And, you know, it just depends. They're all different. Do you find that soldiers are a different audience than most? Yeah, a lot of times if they're very, very young, they're not going to want to hear about, like, my friend's married and she has a daughter. You know, that's not going to be their thing. So um, so it just depends. And then I've done shows where, like, colonels and captains are there and they've been in the military for 30 years. So I'm like, okay, well, now I can pretty much talk about anything because they've lived through all of it, you know. I'd never, I haven't heard of that. Is Do you have any special connection to troops? or? I mean, my father was in the Navy, so, um, and I think it's a really good experience, too, to see, you know, how they handle being apart from their families are extremely grateful to have entertainment come out, especially places like Iraq or um, Niger, you know. um, Do you get to talk to them? To the troops? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a meet and greet after the show. A lot of times they'll take us, you know, out of of, um, just just being so thankful. They'll show us around and... um, They'll show us around the base and they'll tell us exactly what they do, you know, as much as they can. None, no confidential stuff, obviously, but um, they'll give us a little tour. And we've had some of them take us out of the base and into the city. Yeah, like we when we went to Niger, um, 
we went downtown and we went to some like arts and crafts, like little market places. And I bought like a crazy mask and, you know, just I had tea in this little place in Egypt that was thanks to them. So it just, they, you know, they know that you've traveled far away and not necessarily for a lot of money. So they want to thank you as well. Do you have any of the, a favorite city of the tour that you went on? Was it, it was one big tour and you kind of went around or is it um, different occasions? Well, Iraq was um, unbelievable because it was, uh, when we landed in Baghdad, we were told that Osama was killed. Oh, wow. So that was like crazy timing. Um, So that one just stood out as like, that was my first military tour as well. And then, you know, they're all different. That's why I love them. Like Greenland, it was dark for 24 hours. So, but we still were able to see like polar bear footprint, you know, paw prints and stuff and all that kind of stuff where you're like, I'm probably never going to see anything like this again. That's the kind of stuff. Like on this trip that we took last month to Egypt, our flight was uh, canceled. So we had to take a different one. And it was, we had an eight hour layover. So we had, you know, all this time to kill. So we went to see the pyramids. But that wasn't part of our, that was like a the day of. We're like, what should we do? Oh my God, they're right like 45 minutes away. And Uber was like, five dollars each it was so cheap so it was just that kind of stuff where you're like oh this is an experience that i didn't expect wow this is you and and three other comics that you knew before yeah like that one i actually led so i was allowed they told me to pick three people and go with i went with nathan mcintosh aaron foley and jim twos so and i know them all and you also want to find people who are cool like travelers like there's a million funny comics out there, but you also don't want anyone. Because we, we lost our luggage in Niger and, you know, we were we spent a lot of time at the airport. So I think it's almost as important to find people who are, like, cool. And speaking of that there's a million different funny comics, do you watch a lot of comedy yourself? Mm-mm. I think that's why people, because I've been told before, like, I have this, like, weird style. And I think it's just I never grew up with it. So I never... Like I said, when I moved to New York, I was like, oh, this is a thing. Um, I grew up watching, if it funny stuff, I grew up watching SNL and then rerun, I would watch reruns of like all the old sitcoms. Like I Love Lucy, um, I Dream of Jeannie, but Lucille Ball, and then I'd watch Carol Burnett all the time. So they, I think Lucille Ball and Carol Burnett are my biggest influences, but, um, but yeah, I had no idea. And even to this day, like, I mean... I, my boyfriend and I watch serial killers on Netflix and dramas and we're watching Chernobyl now. Like, I don't want to come home after laughing to watch more comedy. I want something to just kind of, it's weird, but relax too. I know it sounds so weird. He relaxes to serial killers. Relax to serial killers. But um, yeah, I don't watch specials. I'll go to live specials. Like I saw Gary Gullman's HBO taping three days ago. Um, and I love seeing live comedy, but I'll see that at the cellar anyway all the time. So I don't really watch like specials on unless like someone's talked about it. like I wanted to see Michelle Wolf's because I love her comedy and um and I see her at the cellar, but I'm like I've never seen her do an hour. So you know, so certain ones I'll watch, but there's just so many now. 
It's, I mean, if we watched everything that was good, I haven't even watched Fleabag and everyone's talking about it, you know? It's just so much out there. Are you, uh, speaking, I wanted to ask you before of, of shows growing up, are you, a, are you a Chappelle show fan? Yes. I didn't watch all of them, but I have loved... You met, have you met him? Yes, I did. What's he like? He was great. He was amazing, actually. Um, I met him in Brooklyn somewhere, and then I can't even remember what it was, but he was at the cellar, and then I was with a group, and the, he was like knew some of the people in the group, and he was like, well, let's go to this thing in Brooklyn. And he's very smart. He t- he's so smart. Yeah, he is very smart. I lo- um, have you seen his specials? No, I need to. I know. Have to. Those are so good. I know. Excuse me. I've seen him for out. Like one time I was at the comedy cellar and I had ordered dinner and he was about to go on. This was right before his specials. That's why I'm like, well, I probably have seen most of him. And I was like, I'll be right back. And I was down there for three hours. Like he was on for so long. Oh, I hear he'll sometimes like he'll sometimes unexpectedly he'll come in, he'll either do 10 minutes or six hours. Yeah, like it's whatever he, he wants. So that's why I was, and I literally never left. Like I was down there the whole time oh. and left my dinner upstairs. So so I'm like, I'm sure most of that has been in the, in the special. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing like live stand-up. That's probably why I don't watch it so much on Netflix. What do you think somebody like, just going off Dave Chappelle, what do you think makes him so good? For you, being a comedian. He just seems like he just never cares. Like, he's just so comfortable in his own skin. And he's just, even when he's quiet, sometimes he looks like he's just thinking and um, talking. It's just so beautiful. He's completely just so comfortable with himself. Is that what you think for to be a, a good comedian is to kind of remove yourself from caring because I don't know because some people you can tell practice and rehearse and you know their personalities and you know they probably made an outline of their show and and their shows are brilliant so I think everyone's just different I I think that's cool you know some people look like they work their ass off and some people maybe they still do and they just look like they are just talking but I respect both you know and what's it, I, I was also curious as to what kind of like a weekly schedule looks like for a, for a comedian. Because I know you guys, I mean, depends on what you're doing, of course. But um, say you're in, in New York where you live. Um, you, how many nights a week are you working? And then what during the day do you, is it just working on new material? I mean, it's um, a lot of it, I think, is... For me is, um, no, there's a lot of like background. See, it always looks like people are like, you just work for two hours a day. And I know you you realize there's more to that, but some people think that way. But, um, you know, it's like responding to emails or writing. But there's also like that mental, like for me, it, there's a lot of mental, like I have to work out. I have to do my morning pages. You know, I have to um, post on social media so that I, you know, look relevant or whatever. Like, there's just a lot of that other stuff. And these days, you can't just do stand-up. That's why I make crazy videos on Instagram or YouTube or, um, you know, do more stand-up in Spanish. Um, But it's a variety of... And then there's, in the stand-up thing, there's just like, okay, I could write new jokes. I could read the ones that I've already written that need work. I could listen to some sets, you know. Um, 
so there's just so there's so much. And I was just you, you're talking about social media. There's um actually another one of my favorite comics. Probably you know Andrew Schultz. Oh yeah, I love him. He's great. Are you, are you friend? You yeah, friendly yeah. With him? He did our show in Spanish. Oh really? Yeah. He um he was on, I think it was Rogan the other day. I don't know if you listened. Yeah, to yeah. He Rogan. was on Rogan. I saw his tweet. And he said something actually pretty interesting because he's very good at maneuvering YouTube and so good. Like all yeah. his, his social media is just so it's very captivating. Um, so I'm kind of curious at, in the in the age of social media and YouTube and all that. How do you feel like? I mean, you talk about needing to kind of stay relevant at least on the media's. For you, how important is that, and what? How does that affect your comedy, if at all? Um. I think it's very important. I wish it wasn't so much. Uh, I wish it was more just about stand-up, but it is about followers and how many you have and and all that stuff. I think Andrew's a, one of the best at that side of business. And, um, and you know, it's... Uh, gosh, I don't even know. It, it's just... It keeps evolving, too. Like, it seems like at first Instagram was all about pictures. Now everyone's posting sets on Instagram. Now it's IGTV, you know. Um, there's just... Uh, you just kind of have to keep up all the time with whatever people are doing, you know. Um, but it's it's very important. I think sometimes it's too distracting. Like, I try not to look at Twitter and Instagram too much, especially in the morning when my brain is like fresh and I want to write. Um, but I, like everyone else, fall into that rabbit hole where I just start looking at stuff. And then it can be very depressing too. You know, you see, well, I got this show or this person got this show. So I've unfollowed a lot of people. And I, I did it right before you could mute on Instagram so I was really annoyed because I'm like, all these people I know are going to realize that I stopped following them. And then like two weeks later, they had that mute option. Um, but it can be very, um, you know, it can be very depressing to like look at that stuff. How competitive, kind of piggybacking off that, how competitive is the comedy world? Or is it competitive? Because I've also heard, like I listen to a lot of Rogan and, you know, he talks about, the comedy world being actually quite not very cutthroat in comparison at least to like Hollywood or other industries where it's a lot of fellow comedians are pretty supportive of one another yeah. for the most part. I mean, if you talk to most comedians, um, most of the stuff you get is from a, another comic. Like, so they're very supportive and... Um, I think it can feel like a competition sometimes, but it doesn't have to and... I think self-help books are so important and therapy <laughs> are so important for this business because in your head, like, I fall back to that, like, oh, my God, this is a competition. And, oh, am I too much like so-and-so and we're the similar, you know? But it's not. It's it's all um, you and just your path and your work and all that. And there is an element of luck, obviously. But, um, like, I don't know if you know, I think his name is Gary Vederchuk or yeah. With he, the motivational. Yes, he's amazing. Like, I don't watch all of his videos, but I try to. And he's Do you feel just better after them? So great. Yeah. 
And he he reminds me a little bit of Andrew Schultz because he's kind of like, you know, put kind it posting. Look the same too. Yeah. A little. I'm sure Andrew listens to him or watches him. But Gary is like so good about like just do your thing and don't look at what other people are doing. And and I just have to listen to him because I'm like, I will fall into that, you know. And it's not it's not healthy to be on that anyway. Even if I wasn't a comedian, why am I, you know, when I'm traveling, I'm like, am I looking at my phone too much? instead of like looking at the actual Grand Canyon that's, you know what I mean? So it's just a lot of self-checking, I think. What do you, do you wish you were around in the age where they didn't have this? Because I mean, just 20 years ago, this none of this was a thing. So I wonder. I mean, I was uh, at the beginning, I was around it. But then, you know, you had the problem of like, how am I going to tell people about my shows? You know, yeah, how'd they do that before? Just straight flyering. posters and We'd flyers? We'd like flyer or um, we'd send emails, a lot of emails. And then people would be like, I, I want to get off your mailing list. At least with Instagram or whatever, you know, they can follow you if they want to. But um, there's also a lot more comedy now. There's a lot more comedians, but there's a lot more stand-up. So, I mean, you win some and you lose some. It's a little bit of both. Um I, uh, yeah, it is what it is, I guess, you know. And I was also curious because to know what it's like for you or to know what the comedy industry is like with regards to to the treatment, I guess, but also um, the balance of having men to women mm-hmm. in shows and how, I mean, you know, there's all the recent stuff in the, in the acting industry more so and a little bit in the comedy world as well yeah. um, with the whole Me Too movement. But how do you feel um, being a woman in the comedy world is and how do you feel like it's there's still a lot of work to do or do you feel like it's more equal than possibly other industries? Um, I think it's, we've grown a lot in the last few years. There's a lot more women and there's a lot more diversity in general in like shows and stand up. And, you know, before there was definitely just one woman on a show and you might still see that somewhere every once in a while, but there are a lot more women doing stand up now. And um, so it's definitely evolving and it's moving in the right direction. Um, I mean, obviously there's still work that needs to be done, but I think the door is open and it's just going to happen. And do you have any advice for, I guess, either young girls or young boys, young boys and girls, young rising comedians that are are comedian hopefuls? Don't do it. (laughs) There's too many of us. Just find something else. No. I mean, if you really want to do it, I think it's just, it's all, it's so cliche, but it's, um, you know, get on stage. And write. I mean, um, I think it's very natural to to go through ebbs and flows. Like I wasn't writing for a long time, but I was very I was performing a lot. So then I'd be like, oh, I don't have a lot of new jokes. And then I'd do the opposite. Um, so I think they're both super important. And but always like do other things, be grounded, have friends and like have friends, you know, because a lot of times these other comics are your friends, but but you also need like real regular civilian friends and have relationships. Don't put it all into stand-up because if that doesn't work, people get really depressed. It's a very, can be a very um, difficult industry like, you know, many others, but. 
we talk about some of the times I'd imagine kind of like anybody in any job, you probably had many doubts and probably wanted to quit a bunch of times, I would imagine, at some point. Um, or did you always just know, like, look, this is going to be hard, but we're going to, I'm going to make it through? Or did you, can you talk about some of those times that you did have um, those doubts? Well, that year that I stopped doing it, I thought I quit. Like, I was like, this is, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, I don't know if I'm doing this for the right reasons. I'd rather just know for sure what's out there. I kind of feel like it's kind of like dating someone and you're like, I'm not ready to get married. I need to see, you know, I need to make sure this is the right thing. And then you end up going back to that person. You're like, no, I love you. You know what I mean? So it felt like that. I was like, I'm not re really sure I want to do this, but I know I can write all the time because I've, I've always been a dear, from third grade, I've dear diary. I've had journals. I've had all kinds. So I'm like, if that's it, then I'll just write books or whatever. Um, but I had no idea. But then one day, you know, I think sometimes silence just kind of helps you when things are quiet. You know, you get, I got out of stand up and I was like, it took a while, but I was like, oh, no, wait, no, that's, I love that. And I never looked back from then. Like, even if I have a difficult day or I didn't get something I wanted, it's not like I want to quit. It's more, what can I do about it? Why is this so hard? What else can I do? Um, and then it just becomes more about like, well, what else can I do? You know, I'm going to do stand-up, but, oh, I'll do shows in Spanish because it's so fun. Oh, I'm going to make videos because I love acting. Oh, I'm going to, you know. And then if you have a lot of stuff, you don't overthink that one thing, the stand-up part, you know. And do you, would you say that you feel like comedy is somewhat of an obsession? Do you feel Oh, like yeah, it's an addiction for sure. It's like, do you... Are there times where you just can't sleep and that's all you're thinking about? No, it's not like I can't sleep. I can't sleep if I'm thinking of something funny and I don't get up to write it down. I'm like, you're going to forget. Just get, just do it. Get it out, you know. But it's more of an addiction like... Um, like... Or I don't know if addiction is the right word. It's, it's, it's an obsession in the sense like if I have two days... Like tonight I don't have any shows. And in the old days, I would have been like, oh, my God, I can't believe I don't have a show. What does that say about me? And I would give meaning to it about how, like, you know, every awesome comic in the city has three shows a night. Why do I have zero? Um, and then tonight, I'm like, well, no, that's, you know, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm going to go see a movie with my boyfriend. And I'm, you have to live to get, to get material, you know. And I wrote a ton today. So I'm already, like, checked off, like... I did my job. I did my work, you know. Do you feel like you have to write every day? I want to. I've been slacking a lot lately because I've been addicted to, like, the editing. Like, I just learned editing on iMovie and I just want to make movies. And it's not like I've been sitting around watching, like, soap operas or whatever. So I am sort of creating and working. But um, but I have to stick to just writing a little bit every... Not every single day, but a lot Almost every day. And even if it's in an hour, but in the morning when I'm just like, just waking up. Do you up. just sit down at a desk or do you like, do you have to be in the same no, mindset, same I place sit, or it's anywhere? It can be anywhere. Um, usually in the, um, we have this section, I don't live in a huge place, but we have this corner with a lot of books and we call it the library just because it sounds so nice. So I sit in the library and I just write, I have my coffee and I'll just write. 
And do you... But I take a lot of breaks in between. Totally. And that's okay. As long as I go back, like I'll write something and I'll be like, is that true? And then I'll Google it. And I'll be like, hold on. What happened on that Instagram? And I'm like, but I sometimes I have to like move my phone and put it in the other room. But but there's a certain chunk of like anywhere between one and two hours where I'm trying. And this is not every day. I'm not saying that, but I'm trying to get there. Is most of your content true real life stories? True experiences, but that's usually in the setup. The punchline, I start to go a little crazy. Yeah, but it has to come from a true a true place. Like it has to have meaning to me and I have to believe it. Mm. Yeah, like uh, so I and, and you can tell when someone doesn't believe you because they'll be like, "Did you really have scoliosis, or did you really go to India, and that did that really happen to you? Is your mom really Spanish?" Those are like three that I really get, and um, and I'm like, "Yeah, like I can't make up that my mom's Spanish. That would be so weird." Yeah, and are there? You're, you you kind of t- talked about um, when you made a, a Trump joke, but do you feel like in the Trump era, um, it's a little overused or do you do you still because I've heard some comedians like they, they're like I'm not gonna even talk about Trump like it's so yeah. every single day yeah late night you know I mean we love Colbert we love all of them but it's always got to talk about Trump and then you get into it as a comedian in this um hyper political era mm-hmm. I'd say do you kind of stray away from it or do you still use it as a source no. of like and the gift that keeps on giving no, it is. It's overdone, especially in New York and in America. I love doing it overseas. I think it's fun um, because I, I just, I think it's funny that I go overseas and they're talking about him almost more than I do. And I'm like, yeah, but he's my president. But they love to talk about him. And um, but yeah, I love I love doing my jokes um, about him because they're not as saturated. I mean. It's just they're fresher out there. Here it's just like we're done. Yeah, we see it on TV. We see it on SNL. We see it everywhere. Like who cares? Um, but yeah, when I did it in Long Island, it was a while ago. When it when Trump first became president, I mean, everyone was doing oh. them. And, you know, and it was so fun. And then it just feels like one day it was like, that's it. We're done. Do you have any, uh, who do you think people are going to pick on next in the in this next election? I have to do my research. I don't know. I, there's so many now. So many people running. I haven't even like given it a thought. I'm what also, do you think? Oh, Who do I think? Who's going to be the next? But I mean, Biden's getting a lot. Oh, Biden's yeah. getting a little. Well, I think it's also, it depends. Well, yeah, it depends where you are. And it depends what you believe in. Yeah. But I think I think there's I mean Trump I don't think there there will ever be another gift for comedians and late night hosts like Donald Trump. Not in our lifetime, yeah. Or ever, I don't know. But not in a very long I kind of hope not to be yeah. honest, but um yeah, it's sad. it's scary to think that he might return for another 4 years, um but it's almost like too difficult to even fathom like I can't go there. I I wonder what the comedy world's going to do if that happens. Think it'll, well, I, I don't, don't even know. I don't know what the world is going to do if that happens. That that's probably that's a better point. Yeah. Um, the other question I had for you is, what you know, you've been now in comedy for a while, but still, I'd say 
early where where do you see your your career where do you feel like you're at now and what is next for you and what do you kind of hope to do in the future I mean I hope to definitely do more on camera stuff but always do stand up like I don't care if is there's just something about performing live that I just absolutely love um so whether I just do that or I made a movie or whatever I would just always want to just keep doing stand up that just feels like very grounded. It feels like a part of me. Um, but I hope to have a special soon. You know, I think um, a lot of people are putting theirs up on YouTube. I think Netflix is so saturated now. Um, so who knows what the next trend will be. So whatever that is, I, you know, I guess I just want to go to the next level like everyone else in the world. But... And also, you know, more Spanish stand-up. I think we're, I think there's a lot of Spanish audiences out there and we just have to find them. Is the stand-up world or is the comedy world as prominent in Spain or Europe? In I your mean, experience? it is, but it's just different. It's um, How do you adjust to, to that kind of, those differences? I don't know. It's adjust, the adjusting comes more in the material than it is, you know, if it's a, if it's a European city and they speak English, but it's their second language, I might slow down a little bit. But um, but it's really more in the... If I do it in Spanish, it's more in just getting the words right or picking jokes that would make sense out there. You know? Do you use some of the same jokes that you use here and translate them? Yeah. Sometimes and I do. Have you found that there's success with that? Some of them are, and then some of them do better sometimes. And then some of them don't work at all. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll try it one more time. And then I'm like, you know what? That was, there's something about this certain joke that doesn't work. It's almost not worth, you know. But it's, it's fun figuring that out. So Beautiful. Okay, so you can find Carmen at, on Instagram and on Twitter at Carmen Comedian. Your album, Dance Like You Don't Need the Money, on iTunes. You have upcoming shows, July 16th, 17th, 19th, 20th, 7 p.m. at the Creek in the Cave in Long Island City. Look at you, yeah. And the big one, July 27th, headlining Just for Laughs in Montreal, Canada. And you can find all of your work and... A lot of links and contact information and upcoming shows and all that. Tickets, CarmenLynch.com. Carmen, Couldn't thank- have said it better myself. Thank you so much thank for being you. here. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was fun. It was fun. <laughs>